I never want to see you again, I snapped and stormed out of the room, holding a single rose from the bouquet that I'd been hitting Bobby with. I stomped into the other room, the dance room, which, except for a swirling white light, was totally dark, and suddenly I heard the opening beats to mine and Bobby's song, Blue Monday by New Order, come over the sound system. We'd played that song thousands of times, over and over. I dropped the rose and started to cry. Bobby was coming after me, with the whole party trailing behind him to see what was going to happen next. Look what you're making us do, I said, turning toward him. You too. He said, picking up the rose I dropped. I was crying. I love you. I love you too. We started dancing alone in the corner of the dark room. Our song has saved us once again. Oh, let me try that again. Our song has saved us once again. You can say it. <laughs> I whispered. I think the first time was fine. He smiled and held me close. Bobby, I said, looking up in his eyes. I'll always love you till the day I die. So will I, Drew. So will I. Crying, I took the rose from his hand, kissed him lightly on the cheek, and walked out of the party. He started after me, but I was gone. Oh my gosh. That was wow. beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And who, who was I playing there? Bobby who? Bobby, her boyfriend. I don't think he's Is he an famous. actor? No. What? I don't think so. Sorry. Maybe it's Bobby De Niro. Maybe. I, I was kind of hoping that it was going to be him. Is that the first time we've read a uh, a nonfiction piece at the beginning? Or um, acted one out? Unless you count uh, Jay's journal. Oh, those are, yeah, and those are real. Or. Uh, <laughs> go ask Alice. Go ask those Alice. Are, yeah. Yeah, those are word for word true, right? Yeah. Also, I don't know if we had started doing that yet. Did we? I can't remember. I can't either. Roll, we'll have to roll the tape back. I'm not sure, but... Okay. Anyway, are you ready? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do it. And welcome to a very special episode of Are You There Pod. It's me, Jessica. It's me, Katie. <laughs> and it's me, Bobby. Why did I do a <laughs> low voice? I don't know. And today we have a very special guest filling in for Josh, who couldn't be here today because he is um, currently eating a gummy and watching a Republican uh, debate. Debate. For Missouri State Senator? No, Missouri U.S. Senator. Whoa. Yeah. You mean they're in the All same the room names. right now as Billy he's, Long? He's in the same room as not only Billy Long, but both McCloskeys. The McCloskeys for our uh, <laughs> people outside of Missouri are the famous couple mm -hmm. holding the guns on their lawn. In St. Louis, I believe? Yes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Josh is hanging out with them right now, and that's why he's not here. Uh huh. And also Eric Greitens. Yes. Yeah. Who's less famous outside of Missouri, but yeah. Well, he was uh, pushed out of his role as governor for several bad things he yeah. did. And hey. now he's running for U.S. Senate. But we're not here to talk about that. No, sorry. We're here to talk about um, a book I selected because I was like, we've never really done a real nonfiction book. Why don't we do 
the super fun book about Drew Barrymore's struggle with addiction as a child called Little Girl Lost, <laughs> co-written with um, Todd Gold. And uh, this book is about, as the blurb tells us, a child star's descent into addiction and out again. Damn. It's a New Sounds York heavy. Times bestseller. That's true. It is. It is a bestseller. Uh, Drew tells us in this book that she had her first drink at age nine, began smoking marijuana at 10, and at 12 took up cocaine. Good Lord. How does that even... I mean, I guess Hollywood is how it happens, but... Hollywood sickos, but also I think she had a kind of... um, I don't want to say a bad mom, but maybe a mom who was a little bit naive and uh, trusting of a world that's not very kind to people. Maybe. And we just watched a movie on the bonus feed with starring Drew Barrymore. Mm -hmm. But this all kind of happened before, because she was 16 or 17 making that movie. So Mm -hmm. this all takes place before that. Yeah, I think this was published. She was born in um, 75. Is that right? Yep. And this was published in, well, the paperback came out in 1990. Um. I'm not sure when the hard... So she was 15. 15. 14 or 15, right? Um, Already writing books about her addiction and recovery. Absolutely bonkers. Well, she sort of had to because, um, as we'll probably talk more about, there was a post in the National Enquirer. They had found out that she was in rehab and they were going to publish this, like, really towards story about like how this child is in rehab. So she was kind of trying to tell her side of the story. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That is very sleazy. What do you think it's like for a child? We'll probably find out, but a child in rehab, number one is a wild thought to me. And two in California where all the sickos live, do they (laughs) have our California? Yeah. Sorry. We love you. California. Really? It's just Hollywood. Yeah, in the, in 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 Holly Weird. Sorry. Do they have children's rehabs? I think she was at a normal rehab. I don't think it was like a special. That's weird well, too. Being in with the adults as a kid—that's very. They strange. might have had like a a young person's children's wing. Yes, wing. Unfortunately, I just can't imagine an eight-year-old at a club getting drunk. That's my Who's thing. Who's letting that but... eight-year-old in? I guess when you're famous, she's That's... like, "I was in ET." Now give me a tequila. <laughs> I'm Gertie. <laughs> Have you ever seen Firestarter? You don't want to know what I can do to this club <laughs> right now. <laughs> but before we dive too deep into this, um, I don't know much about Todd Gold other than that he writes a lot of, uh, co-writes a lot of celebrity memoirs. Um, and so Katie and I thought it might be a fun game. Because Blake loves games. For us to read the title of a memoir and for Blake to try to guess who that memoir is about or who wrote, who co-wrote it with Todd Gold. (laughs) Oh, they're all Todd Gold? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, Do you want me to start with an easy one? Sure. Wouldn't it be nice, my own story? Uh, uh, uh. Brian Wilson. Yes. <laughs> I should have got I should have got that one faster. All right, Katie, do you have one? Um, this is also a pretty easy one. Uh, Hillbilly Heart. 
Oh, not elegy, not hillbilly elegy, but hillbilly heart. Hillbilly yes. heart. Is it Dolly Parton? No, I wish. Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't have got that. <laughs> well, he had an achy, breaky heart, but he also has a hillbilly heart. I don't yeah. know if Dolly would have called herself a hillbilly, more, more like a mountain girl. But Okay, here's one. And this is kind of a play on words, so you need to think about it. It's called prior convictions and other life sentences. Is it a rock star? No, it's a play on someone's last name, though. Pro- oh, Richard Pryor? That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave it away right there. Yeah, I shouldn't have been that nice. Uh, Katie, do you have another I wouldn't, one? I would never have got it <laughs> if you had enough. Sure. How about Cracked, Putting Broken Lives Together Again? Uh, wow. And this is a celebrity? Yes. Yes. Sort of a um, 90s celebrity. What? Probably aughts, too. Yeah, 90s and aughts. He did some reality show type work. Reality show type work? Mm -hmm. Is it like a talk show type character? Sort of. He was on a a radio show that was pretty popular. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Drew. Oh, my gosh. He got it. That was it? (laughs) Okay. I, I couldn't remember if... Doc, yeah, Dr. Drew was active in the 90s. I guess he's been around forever. Loveline. You yeah. didn't watch Loveline? I couldn't remember or when listen. Loveline started. I didn't realize that it was that old. But yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Lips unsealed. Oh, I can do this. Belinda Carlisle. Yes. Ooh. Man, I am the king of this game. <laughs> <laughs> These... Some of these are obvious. You're a real gold head. <laughs> I didn't, no, I'm just a Carlisle head and a, and a Wilson head. Um, you can go again. I'm still looking for some. How many of these are there? <laughs> a lot. This is what he Good does for Lord. a living. He's really okay. found his niche with the really celebrity memoir. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bark at the Moon, the official Blake <laughs> pet book. The official blank pet book? Yeah. Who, what What this last name a, goes there? This is not an Ozzy Osbourne or Zach Wilde. <laughs> well, it was the first one. It's the official Osbourne pet book. Oh, okay. So the pets got their own book, and it was Why called Bark at the uh, Moon. Because if we, you watch the Osbournes, we okay. all love those pets. So this was in the era of the Osbournes oh, yeah. show. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Are there still more? <laughs> no, there's still more. <laughs> I'm trying to do the really good ones. Uh, what, am, what am I so far? 100%? <laughs> you missed a, you missed Hillbilly Heart. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that. that was a hard one. Okay. I have a couple more. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Let's just blast <laughs> okay. through them. Let's get this done with. Pamdemonium. <laughs> Is it Pamela Anderson? Yes. Nice. Yeah. Weird. That's a bad title. Okay. Here's another one. The Real Girl Next Door. Real girl next door. I might need a, more of a hint than that. I mean, all I can tell you is actress. Um, nineties or mainly got famous in the nineties. Yes. Girl next door could refer to anyone. I it don't could. know. Um, uh, uh, Heather Locklear. Oh no! But we're getting closer to her episodes on Melrose Place. So I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> um, Jennifer Aniston. It was Denise Richards. 
Oh, I was close. <laughs> With Jennifer Aniston. Okay. Um, one more, just for funsies. Let's see if Blake can figure out this one. It's called Independent Ed, Inside a Career of Big Dreams, Little Movies, and the Best 12 Days of My Life. Independent Ed? Mm-hmm. It's a film director. What was the subtitle again? Inside a Career of Big Dreams, Little Movies, and the Best 12 Days of My Life. Ed Wood. No. <laughs> it's Edward Burns. I don't even know who that is. He made like some independent movies in the 90s, like um, She's the One and uh, The Brothers, McCracken, I don't remember, The McCollin, I don't know. Look, okay. he married Chrissy not, Turlington. He really lucked uh, out. He's fine. Yeah. I'm not familiar. <laughs> yeah. So, um, now that we know that Blake is a real Todd head. Not really. I didn't do too. <laughs> a rolled gold, as we call them. <laughs> wow. Is that what we call them? No. <laughs> yes. That's what his, his fans call themselves. Um, I guess we can just kind of yeah, dive in. start... I was going to ask Katie, though, when you think of, like, Drew Barrymore, are there certain, like, movies that you think of or um, just, like, an iconic era for her? Because I'll probably always be a fan of, like, her early to mid-90s wild child era, like, the era where she was, like, posing for Playboy and flashing David Letterman for his birthday and <laughs> dating Eric Erlinson from Hole, which I don't think a lot of people what? remember, but I remember. <laughs> oh, Oscar remembers Oscar's too. freaking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that that was just such a fun era in the Drew Barrymore history. Like, I have to say, I... I'm really comforted by her current era, and we can talk about it a little bit more later, but um, she seems like now she's very confident, she's still very free-spirited, but she's um, achieved a sense of peace with her life, and I think it's really beautiful. And I think now she's exploring like so many creative projects um, that... I think it must be really exciting for her. So I'm really proud of um, all of her eras, but especially um, where she is today and how far she's come. Do you have a favorite movie of Drew's? Um, I mean, I'd probably say Ever After. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that when she played yeah. Cinderella. Yeah, that oh, one yeah. was really beautiful. Um, and that was a big part of my sort of teen years. I loved that movie so much. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that's a good pick. I loved Never Been Kissed. Yeah, Never Been Kissed is so good. <laughs> it's so fun. She's so awkward. We should do a special episode on that one. Yeah, because we it is should. so good. That's a great yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. And maybe ever after. I mean, Cinderella was a teen, right? Yeah, she was. That's true. You know, Angelica Houston was so cold in that movie as mm. the wicked stepmother. Ugh. Do you remember the scene when like uh I just got the chills thinking about it because it makes me so <laughs> upset. But it was the scene when she is talking to where Cinderella is talking to her stepmother. And she asks, have you ever something like, have you ever really loved me? And her response was, how does one love a pebble in one shoe? And I was like, 
Ow. That's so mean. Dang, stepmom. She's so sweet. She just wants to be loved. (laughs) And that's all anyone wants. And that's all little girl Drew Barrymore wanted. And that's why she got in trouble with drugs. (laughs) No one's going to. No Good transition say, there, me. <laughs> oh, you didn't ask me mine. Oh, oh, so oh, Blake, sorry. What's your favorite Barrymore project? Uh, Fifty First Dates. No one's gonna say that. Ooh, that's not really. My, I've never seen that. Actually, you know what though? That reminds me, The Wedding Singer is amazing. The Wedding ah, Singer. Oh my yeah, gosh. so many movies I forgot about. Yeah, mm-hmm. that okay. Yeah, that one was good. I've never mm-hmm. actually seen Fifty First First Dates. I heard it was bad. It's fine. I like E. T. I like, you know, baby Barrymore. She she has the the lisp. She's really funny in that movie. She has some good lines. Do you know how she was hired for that movie? How? Well, whenever she had her casting call with Steven Spielberg, she made up a story about how she was in a punk rock band what? called the Purple People Eaters. <laughs> and he thought that was really creative and he liked her spirit. And that's why he hired her. Wow. Yeah. Well, that and she was freaking adorable. Yeah. So that helps. But that's uh, one little tidbit I learned from this book that did not make me sad. (laughs) So (laughs) I guess we can start in the happy place. Um, The book starts with, okay, first of all, I do kind of hate the way this book is written. Yeah. Where it's Barrymore's voice as she's recounting things. And then Todd Gold comes in. And it's like this real dry, like kind of journalistic style where he's filling in gaps and stuff or telling you more about like her um, her family history, like with the Barrymore family or just, you know, various things throughout the book. But it really interrupts the flow. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like you could probably not have had those and just publish this as almost like her diary type thing without yeah. all that information. It, I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe his voice lends sort of like a narrator, adult figure to this story. Um, Maybe people wouldn't have like taken it seriously if it was just her writing. But I agree with you. Um, It was very well written. I mean, coming from a person who was only 14 years old, it was a very well written book. And I don't, I don't know, it sort of seemed at times like he was being a bit judgy with his narration. So I didn't like that so much. But he's got, you know, about a hundred other memoirs that we could check out and see if there are any <laughs> Like, for example, uh, Keep Moving and Other Tips and Truths About Aging by Dick Van Dyke, <laughs> which is something we should probably all start reading. <laughs> he has a book that is Tips and Tricks About Aging. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Or, And the Beat Goes On by Sonny Bono. <laughs> hmm. That's another one. Okay. Um, so the book starts with just kind of a prologue where Barrymore, is it in the prologue that she tells us about the big like expose um, that is going to be published in, the, is it the National Enquirer? Right. Um, one of those tabloids that my mom would buy at the grocery store. And read and leave lying around, which is how I learned about things like uh, Jennifer Flowers and Bill Clinton. And <laughs> also, I called Jennifer Ginnifer because it was spelled with a G, and I'd never seen it that way before. And my mom made fun wow. of me. And I was like, well, whatever. Yeah. And it's also in the prologue where um, she kind of admits that while the book ends on an optimistic note, like 
she does admit that like she like suffered a relapse shortly after writing this book. And I think it was meant to enforce this idea that like you can, it's like this never ending struggle with sobriety, um, which I think is like so poignant for someone so young to like recognize that. And that probably like says a lot about the treatment that she received, that she could acknowledge that just because you mess up once or twice, you know, you can just start all over and it's fine. Yeah, that's that's pretty rough. Like, yeah, to learn that she had a relapse right after writing the book. It's like when you are watching an episode of Intervention or something, and like everything goes really well, and like by the end they're like totally cleaned up, and it's this really happy ending, and then they'll just do like a text on the screen at the end that's like they relapsed three weeks after the filming of this episode or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. damn. Yeah, that is really sad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so this book was kind of, as um, Katie pointed out, it's kind of like a set the record straight and do it on my own terms kind of situation. So she was raised by her mother, Jade Barrymore. Um, her mother and father were married, but as far as I know, they lived separately they were basically separated, and the few times that Barrymore was actually around her father, um, he was usually intoxicated, and he was very, very abusive. His, his He was John Barrymore Jr. I had to double-check his name to make sure of that. Um, and he died in 2004. But he was a very abusive uh, person to both her and her mother, physically and emotionally, and was an alcoholic Um her mom was doing a lot of different jobs to try to keep a roof over their head because her father was not supporting them. And this left Drew, Drew was left with a lot of different like babysitters and stuff while her mom and it, while her mom was working and it made her feel really alone and sad a lot that she wasn't around her mom as much as she wanted to be. And she was also just very insecure And that insecurity is important because that's kind of what leads her to start doing drugs later. But she just always thought that people didn't like her and wouldn't understand why they would because her father doesn't like her. And later on, whenever she is successful and starts having her career, she fears that her mother only wants her around because she's bringing in money. Um, One thing I do know is that if you are a parent and you have a a child who is an actor or a musician, maybe you shouldn't be their manager. I'm just saying. Yep. Has that ever ended well? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it kind of seemed like the reason that I went back and forth on the mother in this book. Um, It kind of seemed like the reason she decided to do that was because it would enable her to spend more time with Drew because Mm -hmm. Drew was like constantly just like begging her to stay home with her. And so eventually Jade had to kind of like put her own dreams aside and say, all right, if this is your career, then like we can just move forward with it with me being your manager and then we can be together all the time. But yeah, I think I that was part you of shouldn't it, yeah. be your child's manager. That would be 
a bad idea. And she wasn't like, like a lot of celebrity parents that have that role. She wasn't spending Drew's money or anything. Like every cent that Drew earned, her mother put it in a trust fund for her. She didn't waste her money. She wasn't like Britney Spears's parents or anything. So Drew kind of thought that she was using her for her money, but she wasn't like she was doing it responsibly, I think. Yeah. I think that she kept some money to like buy the home right? Yeah, and, and things like that. Maybe that was just her manager's cut. Like, I don't, I don't know how they worked that out, but. Do they talk about the law that was passed? Uh, I forget which child star it was. Uh, it was early on though. Um, a law about parents of child stars, like. Um, not being able to touch the money where it goes in like... Like a Macaulay Culkin type situation? Yeah, I forget. I don't I don't remember when the, the law went into effect, but it's it's been around a while and they, can, they can't touch the money until the, the kid turns 18. It goes in like a lockbox, essentially. Mm. Goes into a lockbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, like, think it, about... Never mind. <laughs> um, but no, I understand what you're saying. Uh Maybe this was before that, but I can't remember. Yeah, no, I think it was. And like Jessica said, um, Drew was basically their sole breadwinner at this point. So like they kept their money for their living expenses, but they weren't like living extravagantly or anything. And even it says in the book that Jade made Drew get like part-time jobs to like pay for things if she wanted extra spending money, which I thought was like a sort of cool parenting move <laughs> to at yeah least. can you imagine she doesn't like, work hard enough already though <laughs> can like, you ima- well this might have been like a down point in her career yeah. could you imagine though being like at a starbucks and gertie is serving you it's crazy <laughs> making like six dollars an hour probably less than six dollars an hour <laughs> it's honestly know. probably very humbling to get out of like the LA existence of you know private schools and or tutoring on set and just being in like your own little bubble to actually working with people um, who aren't, you know, part of a film you're working on or, you know, who also aren't, you know, wealthy kids who go to the same school you do. So Mm -hmm. I do think that maybe has helped because she seems pretty grounded, you Mm -hmm. know, like, so maybe that did help. But I also feel like her mom took advantage of her daughter's fame in a different way. And it was like all the club hopping and access to... Um, celebrity events like movie premieres and award shows and dragging her child to things like that. And Drew loved it because she was a little kid. I mean, what little kid doesn't want to play dress up and, you know, go to a f- – because to them it must just be like a fun dance party or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. But it, it does seem like it's exciting and fun to be able to do those kinds of things. Um, but I, I feel like her mom – maybe exposed her daughter to way too much too soon. And that's how uh, she got into the situation she was in. Um, Yeah. Like it sort of said that they would go to these parties um, where, you know, Jade kind of explained it as like, oh, it was my friend's club or my friend's party. So I knew people there, but they would get to the party and she would be separated from Drew. Like she would go and do her own thing. And so Drew would be left by herself with all of these adults. Maybe some of them were known by her mother, but I'm sure not everyone was. Like, can you imagine just Mm -mm. letting your like 
10-year-old child wander around a party with a bunch of adults that are like drinking and doing drugs and everything like that would be that's yeah. really not a great move at all and no. I mean it doesn't no. seem like anything what we're all thinking it doesn't seem like that happened but it could have very easily have happened you know yeah. Yeah, that's super weird. Yeah. And she would be there sometimes with like a little friend of hers, like another little kid friend, like her mom would invite a friend along with them and, you know, the the friend would have a daughter or whatever. And they would do things like run off and hide and wait for people to leave half-finished drinks behind and oh, they God. would go grab them and take them back to like where they were hiding and drink them until they got really drunk. Um, but Dang. I mean, it's that kind of thing where you don't really know what your kid is doing. You know, and even if you're there, you can't keep your... You're at Studio 54. Are you really going to be watching your daughter whenever Bianca Jagger walks in <laughs> or rides in on a horse? I don't think so. Were they really at Studio 54? Uh, Drew Barrymore says she was a regular at Studio 54. It's so weird that they'll just be... I guess if you have enough fame, they'll just be like, child, let them on in. Well, she was with her mom. Even... Can... I but know, yeah, no, but it it's is, not it normal, even if, with a parent, to if, have a child in If eight-year-old Jessica showed up at Studio 54 in it, her it, uh, Nike windsuit, I don't think right. they would have let me in. doesn't but. matter who you come with, <laughs> unless you're famo, and then it's yeah. like, hey, come on in, here's, here's yeah. your mound of cocaine or whatever. And she could, she was like, um, if you can look at pictures of her, just type like Drew Barrymore- child partying and you'll bring up pictures of her in like these cute well, little 80s see. outfits just totally on the dance floor at clubs surrounded by people partying um probably the blue monday <laughs> probably <laughs> and uh she was talking about how like even magazines like tabloids would you know take photos of her dancing and would have headlines that were like Drew Barrymore dancing at 2 a.m. Shouldn't she be in bed? Yes, she should. <laughs> the very first thing that comes up, she's holding a car, uh, a pack of cigarettes. Mm. Mm. Marlboros. Yeah, she's She has starting. a loosened tie. Whoa. These out. You've just got to see the outfits to believe them. So look them up. <laughs> yeah, the smoking started, I think, when she was like eight years old. She and her friends started like stealing cigarettes and eventually they were like smoking whole packs of cigarettes. And she just said she couldn't wait until the next time they were alone so they could smoke more cigarettes. <laughs> that was wow. the way that 13-year-old Jessica thought too, by the way. Oh my gosh. You're so cool. You're basically like Drew Barrymore. I was uh, like not really still playing with beanie babies same. when I was 13. <laughs> I think I was trying really hard to like overcompensate for that because it was one of those things where you do like a, a complete 180, you know, and I think I was still playing with like Barbies and stuff until I was like 12. Yeah. Um, and hiding it from my family that I yeah. was still doing that. Um, then you're like, no more Barbies, now only cigarettes. That's right. I remember <laughs> like... Um, my friend Crystal's parents both smoked and at her birthday party, she gave me a cigarette and we like shared it. But then one day at school, she brought me a little teen spirit deodorant container that was empty. And inside of it, she had put like three cigarettes and I took them home and I was just like, I can't wait till my mom's gone so I can go outside and smoke a cigarette. Like it really did make you feel like such a cool bad kid. Did your mom um, ever catch you? Uh, Yes. 
Um, she did, but also I would tell her that it was my friends because my friends all did smoke. Like we were all dumb. The and perfect bad. crime. Yeah. And so it would be like, oh, I was with Stacy. Yeah. Stacy's parents smoke, you know, which <laughs> is is true, but I just left out that I was also enjoying yeah. several Marlboro lights, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I've, I've used that excuse. Yeah. I think everyone. I gotta admit, that. this outfit is very good. Okay, that's. I, a- I think she's in Studio Fifty Four. She's maybe eight, and it's an off-the-shoulder, oversized sweatshirt with a cat on it. Mm-hmm. It's really Ooh. cool, like flash dance style with the neck cut out <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, it's a whole look. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, uh, but cool. still too young. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um. I'm going to kind of skip over her family history. If if you want to know, look it up. But from a long line of, of famous Barrymore actors, um, her great uncle, Lionel, was probably the most famous, I think, right? He was the mean old man, if you've ever seen it, in... Um, Home Alone. Oh, it's a Wonderful it's Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Thank oh. you. Oh, Mr. <laughs> Home Alone. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. He was the mean old man yes. until he became the nice old man. Yes. Um are you talking about Mr. Potter? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But it wasn't necessarily like her family lineage that made her want to act. It was being part of a group and being part of like on set, you're part of like a family and she didn't have that kind of structure in her life. So she really craved that kind of stability and that kind of structure and she pursued acting. She loved it, but she also loved the things that came with it such as the when you're on set and you're around everyone and they're your family and everyone loves you. And it always broke her heart whenever you had to leave, right? When the shoot was over, you'd have your little party and you'd say goodbye. Yeah. And um, it was heartbreaking for her as a little kid to kind of deal with that. Um, but w- with E.T., I think what we don't understand is like that kind of fame – was instant like that movie was an instant hit everyone recognized her immediately this was at a time when only like two movies came out a year (laughs) (laughs) well not totally true (laughs) okay like maybe like i don't know five a month instead of 50 where you have to like there's too much content there was no streaming okay and there was uh almost no home video at the time of et well i remember when et was released on home video it was a big deal like it was in theaters Uh, for a long time i was basically crying for the vhs as like a toddler (laughs) yeah i wanted it that bad yeah were you so glad when you got it oh it was like the best christmas (laughs) ever there's probably footage of me somewhere um uh Shrieking in delight that I got the E.T. VHS. Yeah. Did you ever have like a toy E.T.? Like a plush E.T.? Um, not that I remember, which is kind of weird. You, you'd think an E.T. lover would have it. But no, I had weirder stuff like Alf. And, mm. Yeah. Uh, I loved E.T. too. And I don't remember having any specific E.T. toys. I'm sure I probably did, though. Um, he was less cuddly, or you would think so. Well, I thought it was sweet in the book. Drew said, like, she really loved E.T. Like, (laughs) 
between the takes, um, he would be like stored backstage or whatever. And she would like go and sit with him just like for hours or she would like bring her lunch and eat lunch with him and like talk to him. And he was like her little best friend. It was like so sweet. (laughs) I I think that shows through like on what they got on film that shows that she loved that little puppet. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of things too, like um, a lot of her lines, I guess, were kind of ad-libbed. Like the, who was it Melissa Matheson who wrote the script for E.T.? Anyway, she would be like around the kids and would hear their conversations and would incorporate that into the script. So she would change the script a little bit as they shot, Mm. which I think is pretty cool. Is that where she got penis breath? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I think um, it notes in the book also that like Steven Spielberg – like wanted her to ad lib some of her lines because she was so clever and like so funny as a little child. So like he actually like asked her to, you know, make up her own lines, um, which is really cool for someone who is what, like six years old or something. She was so young. (laughs) Yeah. She was riffing. Well, she was charming (laughs) from the start because like her very first gig was a commercial and it was for, I think, was it for suntan lotion or something? I can't quite remember. Sunblock, whatever. She was whatever. a copper tone baby. <laughs> but there's a, um, uh, whenever she went to the audition, it was supposed to be with a dog. Like her co her co actor was a dog. Oh God, she really was the copper tone baby, where the dog's pulling down the well, the diaper dog or whatever. in the in the uh, audition nipped her, and everyone was like, ah, oh, because it kind of bit at her. And instead of like crying or throwing a fit she just started laughing and it just charmed everyone. And so she got the gig. Um, but wow. Don't report the, uh, the dog bite to the, uh, <laughs> the proper authorities and you will get a job. Well, I don't think it mauled her. I think there's a difference. <laughs> I know, but can you imagine the, uh, the mountain of red tape today? This is before they had those kind of <laughs> yeah. things in place. So her the fame from E.T. caused issues at school, right? Because before, when she was just in commercials or little TV movies that no one had seen, it wasn't a big deal. But then um, that kind of fame on that level really set her apart from kids, and she was kind of mocked and teased for it, which, what? I don't understand kids. That's I'd be dumb. like, be my friend, cool E.T. girl. Yeah, can I, I meet know. your alien friend? I don't, kids are stupid. They were just jealous, Drew. And I'm not saying that as a mom who's like, oh, honey, the kids are only calling you ugly because they're jealous. Like, no, like these kids are jealous. Like they wanted to meet (laughs) E.T. She was in a movie called Irreconcilable Differences, um, which for her was a horrible filming experience. It's about a young girl who... um, emancipates herself from her parents interestingly enough which is something that drew did later she emancipated herself at 15 i think in this movie was she trying to emancipate herself at like age six or something yeah like five six whatever is that no i think she was (laughs) maybe (laughs) like eight or something like that. okay still that i don't does that happen (laughs) i don't know i've never seen the movie i've never seen it Uh, either but it did you know say that it was very much art imitating life (laughs) because she was going through you know this tumultuous situation with her parents as well yeah yes um and she says she nearly quit acting after the experience but luckily she was cast into a little movie called firestarter 
And it was filmed in North Carolina. And on the set, Stephen King was there and she became close with him. And that's why he cast her. Well, he suggested her for Cat's Eye, which I've never I've never seen Firestarter or Cat's Eye. So I'm a very more. We poser, should watch Firestarter. I don't even know what Cat's Eye is. It's another horror movie. I don't know much yeah, about I it. I guess it's one of his novellas. Um, but it, I think it's one of like the Castle Rock novellas, maybe. I forget. I haven't seen either like one either. I'm not like a super big Stephen King person, but. But it has Drew Barrymore? Yeah. But I'll probably just watch a cuter movie of hers. <laughs> uh, let's at least watch Firestarter. That um, good. Yeah. But on the set in North Carolina, she became very close friends with her stand-in, Jennifer. And she loved being at their house because their home was that perfect, like, nuclear family. Like, two parents, a dog, a beautiful home, you know, a um, couple of kids. And she loved that structure that it gave her life. Um and what's important about Firestarter is at the rap party, this is the first time she gets drunk. Mm. So she bet a couple of crew members that she could chug these two glasses of champagne that were sitting out. And they were like, okay, kid, whatever. Like, they care. This crew sucks. <laughs> be, be more responsible, crew. And so she chugged these two glasses of champagne and then passed out immediately. Um but how interesting that it was champagne because champagne is like, you know, bubbly and kind of sweet. And it does like, I think it would be a perfect drink to give a child to yeah. get them like into booze because it is like right. the fun drink. Like a wine cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Tasty. <laughs> um, so she's. Can we, that. I'm sorry, an aside on that. Should we talk about your niece? I was tasting? wondering about that. Okay. So we can leave all, all identifying information out. Okay. So. On, uh, and we can cut it if we, <laughs> but it's too funny. So on Sunday, we were at my uh, sister's house and hanging out with family. And I had bought like a little canned strawberry margarita to drink. And I opened it and my niece, my oldest niece was like, what are you drinking? I want to try it. And I'm like, oh, this is for adults. You can't have it. Um, and she was like, oh, please let me have a sip. And I was like, no, I, you know, I can't. And she kept begging you said it's booze yeah i said it was booze it's not for kids she's like what's booze <laughs> she knows what booze is she still asked what's booze <laughs> so um her dad you know gave me a little shot glass and i poured a tiny bit in the shot glass and you know with parental permission and i gave it to her and she was just like she barely she, sipped it she didn't by the drink way. it she didn't drink it she slowly brought it to her lips. She touched the tip of the tip of her tongue, grazed the liquid because she gave the shot glass back, and the liquid was all still there. Yeah, she didn't drink any of it. I think her tongue touched it, and then for the next ten minutes, she was she and her sister <laughs> were both walking around going, bleh, 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 <laughs> and like scratching, scraping at their tongues. Yeah, and then she kept asking if I was going to go to jail because that was illegal, or would she be in trouble it's like, oh, because it's she drank it? And I was like, N you're fine. <laughs> She said she would never, uh, she would never drink when so, she grew up. So the opposite. You can either have a Barrymore or you can have the opposite of a Barrymore. Maybe if Drew had started with a canned strawberry margarita, she wouldn't have liked it as much. But 
Maybe. Sounds pretty tasty to me. <laughs> it's really just a sugar drink. I don't think she actually tasted it. Yeah, it's actually pretty tasty. But <laughs> anyway, um, so this means that when she goes back home from filming Firestarter, that she switches from playing dolls um, to an L.A. nightlife. So this is when she starts going to premieres and award shows and parties quite a bit. And this also... Um, because of this and late night, she starts having problems with school and is struggling with grades and is still being teased. And the only thing that made Drew happy was working. She says, I became another person. I didn't act my character, which was lots better than being fat, ugly, and stupid Drew Barrymore. It's mm. mm. sad. Mm. So, um, the club scene is she kind of became like her stand-in for work. Um, she would go out anywhere from one to five times a week. And she said that people treated me like a little toy, always telling me how cute I was, patting me on the head or giving me a playful squeeze. Um, and she says that she had to, like, beg her mom to go out. I I don't know. Maybe sometimes. <laughs> but it seems like her mom was into it. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, Another thing to maybe note about Jade is that she herself really wanted to be an actress and mm -hmm. she never really made it that big, um, mostly because like being a single mother, she had to like make sure Drew was taken care of and like take care of like all her needs in addition to like all of her auditions and things that she had to do for work. So like she basically had to give up on like her own dreams of stardom so that Drew could pursue those dreams. So like she probably felt like when she's out at these clubs and events, like she's at least tangentially related to stardom. <laughs> so I can't imagine yes. that it was like that hard for her to go out to clubs because she probably felt very, like glamorous and like special that she was there with Drew and and everything. So and surrounded by other famous people, you know. Yeah. It must have been really sad for her. Like again, I, I go back and forth with this mother. It like trying to put myself in her position because she did make so many like really questionable decisions, but it must just be so sad to like give up on your dreams. <laughs> yeah <laughs> of course yeah but i also think that she realized that she wasn't getting anywhere but her daughter was yeah you know and if they actually you know pursued that then maybe she thought in her own way that she could get in on it too maybe yeah they could be the acting mother and daughter duo yeah <laughs> i don't know but uh <laughs> yeah so, I mean, it is kind of sad that it never worked for her, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. We see it a lot on toddlers and tiaras. We, we do, folks. <laughs> the mother who, the mothers who wish so badly that it was them on that stage that they actually create an event for the mothers to go on the stage. I, have you seen this oh show, Katie? Oh my gosh, like a mother's pageant? Yeah, as, as <laughs> part of the children's pageant for on the show... For some of these pageants, they have a mother's event where the mother oh goes out and she's wearing the the outfit. And yeah, they're all directly competing with each other instead of vicariously competing. <laughs> wow. And it's it's a pretty sad scene. That's 
very cringy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's more sad, but yeah, it's both. Yeah. So there are some memorable party scenes she talks about, and one is at Rob Lowe's birthday party. Um, she and a friend sneak drinks off the bar, and eventually Drew approaches someone that she talks about having a crush on, and that person, Emilio Estevez. <laughs> I was so mad at Emilio after this uh, passage. Listen, <laughs> what a creep. Okay, here's, I, I'm going to read this. How much older was he? Oh, uh, he's an adult. And she was probably like, what, seven? No, I think I she was, know. it was probably 12 or so. I think that was towards the end. Well, he but, picks her up and holds her. Uh, and she wraps her legs around him. Because yeah, so that's what I thought was, was creepy. Yeah, so she asks for a sip of beer, and instead she chugs his whole bottle and then asks him to dance. And he picks her up, takes her to the dance floor, and her legs are wrapped around his waist. Um, number one, that's not how you dance with a kid. No. no. You just put their feet on top of your feet, and then you kind of move your feet very slow side In a to circle. side. circle. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly the appropriate way to dance with a child. It is not holding them close against you and dancing with them. After you've and given then, them alcohol. Oh, boy. After you gave her a whole beer that you watched her chug, and then you put her down, and you pat her on the bottom. Ugh. That's what no, I'm sir. saying. Like, there were so many of these, like... Really close calls that could have been like so much worse, and it made me really nervous reading this book because I was yeah. like, "Oh my gosh, I really hope that we don't learn that Emilio Estevez is like some kind of predator." <laughs> well, like, well, Rob Lowe was. I mean, I don't think yeah. people remember this, but he he was. Um, I can't remember the exact scandal, but there was a video, like a sex tape, almost of him. Yeah. I think with underage girls. Or an underage girl. Yeah. Really? A teenager. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal. Oh, uh, my like, gosh. I mean, I don't remember how old he was. but I he's, and she He's pretty young, but... And she was probably... It's not like she was 12. <laughs> um, but she was still under underage, if I'm remembering correctly. And people seem to kind of forget that. Um, yeah, I so, didn't even know that. I'm going to double check that in a minute. But... Um, I think that the party ends out with Drew making out with Micah. So maybe she was like eight or nine. I don't know. But she says that the night at the club ended with the two of them kissing, really kissing, like passionate 30-year-olds. Gross. I know. Drew at Who's eight kissing? years old. It was like another, it was a younger cousin of Rob Lowe, I think. So he was maybe a few years older than her, but still like, you know, an adolescent boy. But she describes it as like making out. Can you imagine, oh like, God. passionately making out with someone when you're eight I years mean, old? <laughs> yeah, the most you could do is, like, pretend to do what you see in the movies, maybe. I'm, uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, eventually, um, Drew moves from alcohol to pot. One of her friends, Amy, her mom, they're just driving around one day, and the mom is like, hey... Y'all want some pot? <laughs> Terrible so, parents all yeah, over the place. Exactly. So gives these children pot, um, and Drew then becomes a real pothead. 
Later, she gets cast in Babes in Toyland, um, which is filming in Munich. And here's another memorable scene where she hangs and parties with Rod Stewart. Oh, my gosh. This part made me also so furious. <laughs> Why are these grown-ass men partying with children? Rod Stewart was already old, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. So can I describe the Rod Stewart part? Because I have it marked. Yes. Yes. Okay, so... Um, yeah, so they go to the Rod Stewart concert and she's like invited backstage. So she's hanging out with all of the band um, until 4 a.m. Um, she says she remained with the band drinking all night long in one of their suites. They got crazy drunk. Someone took a video of everyone stumbling around the room, falling off the beds, downing tiny bottles of liquor from the mini bar. So this was... Again, she was in Babes in Toyland. That's a child's movie. She was probably like 10. And then the next weekend, Rod Stewart invited her to go to Vienna with him and his band, not with her mother invited, just the child to like travel on their tour bus with their band to go to another city for the weekend. Like, why would you invite a random child to go with your rock band Buddies. Because it's Europe and any <laughs> any sick stuff goes. Oh my gosh. And, that well, part made me so nervous. <laughs> it is. It is. It's nervous. It's kind of the same thing. Like, why would you let your child go? You know what I mean? Like, why why is Jade putting her trust in fucking Rod Stewart? Well, well I, I mean, think it's she like, said no to the to the bus trip, but she didn't say no to her hanging out alone with these older men backstage. Like Yeah. And being out all night, you know, just like, don't you, it's kind of the same thing as parents who would just let their children stay with Michael Jackson. That's what I was going to bring up. It's it's the the celebrity effect of, well, this is a very famous celebrity and I guess we can't say no. Well, that or you think you can trust them because of the persona. And as far as we know, look, I'm not going to say that anything happened with Rod Stewart because as far as we know, it's fine. Nothing happened. But Luckily, luckily. If it did happen, I wouldn't. (laughs) be shocked in the least i will say that yeah and she probably wouldn't write about it in her memoir you know but if she was getting drunk with these men until 4 a.m like who knows it's crazy like a lot of parents are nervous about their kids sleeping over at a friend's house at that age (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I i don't know like the the fame parent is a is a different I don't know if it's a different type of person or what, like what it takes to be like, yeah, I'm okay with my kid getting into a career of fame and whatever, whatever it takes and whatever my, whatever happens, happens. She was always hanging out with older people and like, she just felt more comfortable with older people. And so I think people just forgot that she was a baby still because she was so smart and like so clever and like so like sophisticated people just kind of forgot that like she was probably in what fifth grade sixth grade (laughs) probably they could have looked at like you know the fact that she was three feet tall (laughs) that could have given them an idea it goes the other way too for me because it's like why would i want to hang out with a 10 year old yeah like as like a 40 or 50 year old rock star i love to drink except for that one reason (laughs) I'm fine with partying and I like I like alcohol and I'm fine with if you want to use drugs. I can't imagine seeing a child and no matter who they are and being like, "Hey, you 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 want some of this?" Like, yeah. No. I 
Yeah. It's it's, in, it's like having just an entirely different brain or something. I don't know. It's insane to me. Do they just think it's funny watching this kid get drunk? Is that part of it? Like Maybe, but like when you have a like 10-year-old child, like you have it's basically like you're babysitting. You have to make sure they're eating enough. Like <laughs> it's, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's so Why would you bring a 10-year-old child on a tour bus with a bunch of grown men? That's very yeah. creepy. And I, I mean, it would be one thing if her mom was with her and was like, okay, we'll go meet Rod Stewart together yeah. and then we'll go home. Sure. <laughs> you know, but that did not happen. Um, so, yeah, it was just, it's just got to be such thinks, a weird way to grow is up. Is she thinking it's going to like help her child's career, raise her child's profile? Because maybe if that's all she's got on her mind, it can cloud out protective instincts and just, yeah. you know. Maybe, but well, she, she also... She was getting all these auditions, like she was getting tons of work. So it didn't seem like the club scene was necessarily like promoting her career. Like it was her herself and her talent that were getting like all these jobs. But I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. True. She also talked about in this book, like how she spent like two weeks with Stephen King at his house. Um but this seems more innocent it because does. He, he did have children. kids. Yeah. He does. He had kids that were her age. And I bet that they probably met on the set of Firestarter or Cat's Eye or something. And she became friends with his kids. And it was probably more of a that kind of situation. Yeah. Um, that one was okay so, with me. That was more like, hey, come stay at my cabin. There's board games. There's kids your own age. There's pizza. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It seemed, and I'll tell you some scary yeah, ass scary stories, stories before you go to bed. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, any kid would be in on that. So... <laughs> Um, that didn't bother me. And I don't think that Stephen King was like, hey, kid, you want some Coke? Like, yeah. I don't think that was happening. I mean, he probably so, was doing Coke, but not only himself, not the children. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> yeah. Secret, yeah. in secret. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that whenever uh, the Coke monster came out, Tabitha took care of those kids. I'm sure it's fine. They were fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she... Um, Starts at a new school called Cal Prep as a sixth grader, and she starts hanging out with older kids, like juniors and seniors. Here we are again, where she's hanging out with older people. And she said that that was because she was rejected and teased by her peers. And by hanging out with these older kids, she had more freedom because these kids had cars. And she said, I fit in with them because I knew how to smoke, drink, cuss, and flip off authority with a disrespectful joke. So... She was a bad girl. That's why she fit yeah. in. Yeah. And it was it kind of worked because these were kids who seemed like good kids who were from like affluent families and mm -hmm. kind of had like the the preppy look, but they were they were bad kids, you know. So they got away with more stuff. So this is something she says she spends her summers with an Italian movie producer and his wife and children. She doesn't name the producer. I wonder who it is. Uh Hmm. I'll have to ask Joshua. I bet he'll know. Um, and she has one of the worst drug experiences of her life, which results in a panic attack. But she still doesn't stop using. Um, you know, she fights with her mom a lot. And at one point, she even ends up slapping her mom. Um, so that wasn't good. Just, she's just getting a little bit out of control. Maybe the drugs are slightly, you know, changing her personality a little bit. 
and her need for like clubbing and stuff like that. Um, she gets cast in New York and now she's, she's worried that she'll miss her LA friends, but then she just makes a new party circle in New York and she meets a young girl named Stacy who is a, like an aspiring model and she starts clubbing with Stacy. Um, and even, and even buys a pair of roller skates so she can skate to get to the clubs. (laughs) That was Was cute. Yeah. A thing to do back then. So imagine seeing like an 11-year-old kid just on her skates, <laughs> skating to some kick-ass New York club. But yeah, and then she has a boyfriend, Bobby. Um, and Bobby. she gets in a huge <laughs> fight with her mom. <laughs> so, so we don't know who Bobby is. I don't. I don't know who Bobby is. I think it said he was just sort of like a prep school kid, like, again, from a wealthy family in New York. Um but not like a famous person, just like a, a yeah. rich guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so she ends up basically just being like, I'm out of here to her mother. And she either stays with Bobby or at Stacy's. And her relationship with Bobby is very tempestuous and very dramatic. They're always fighting. And um, we had a small example of one of their arguments at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> but luckily... New Order saved the day, like they always do. <laughs> so just make sure that um, you and your partner pick a New Order song as your song. your song. That way, yeah. when you're fighting in a club and it suddenly starts playing, you can be like, oh, good. I'm glad Temptation is our song and it's playing right now and it saves us. Yeah. <laughs> but how weird is it to have Blue Monday as your song? Like, I understand it's because you're like dancing club kids, but... It's not a good song for a couple, I think. Um, yeah, it's funny to think of an 11-year-old having any song, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when she gets back to L.A., her best friend Chelsea is now sober and went through treatment. Um, and Drew's like, I don't want to do that. Um, so she <laughs> doesn't really hang out with Chelsea that much, I think, anymore. <laughs> and while she had been around cocaine, she had never done it until prom. Why a seventh grader is at prom, I don't know. But there you go. Um, so she, the coke really makes her lose control. And um, at one point, she tells her mom to move out of her house like you move out i'm gonna go out and party with my friends and whenever i come back you better be gone you better be gone out of our house (laughs) it's an alpha move i like it so she goes out and parties with her friends and then they all come back to the house afterward right isn't it all of them like her little group of friends because they're just going to keep partying throughout the night because her mom isn't supposed to be there (laughs) but when they show up her mom is still there and i think this is the scene where drew Pulls a total alpha move and goes to the kitchen and grabs a beer and just drinks it in front of her mom. Is it this part? Um, And her mom is very upset and calls in reinforcements. And Drew is afraid her mom is calling the cops and she expects the cops to break down the door. But instead, her mom had called Chelsea and her mother and um, they get Drew to rehab. And uh, at... The check-in for rehab is the first time that Jade learns that Drew is doing coke. And she also tells the person who was checking her in that she had drunk about 15 beers that night. 
Don't know if that's true or not, but my goodness. That's a lot. That's a uh, lot of beer. I don't know that, yeah, that 13-year-old little person could handle that in their system without dying, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, so when she's there, um, you know, they, they have little groups where everyone talks together about their issues, um, like a therapy-type group. Um, and at her first group... Lori and Dr. Blair asked everyone how they felt about Drew being there. And almost everyone who said something expressed concern that I was going to receive special treatment and too much attention. And Drew says that I wanted to give them all the finger. (laughs) (laughs) Special attention was the last thing I wanted from any of them. Given the chance, I would have walked at that moment. Um, So she does a lot of unpacking of baggage at family sessions when her mom comes and here's the bad thing that happens is 12 days after checking in drew leaves to go film another movie called far from home so she's only there for like not even two weeks and like, leaves. oh we got uh, rehab's yeah. over because you have to work now yeah and so they give her um a tech from the facility goes with her on set named diane and drew had to use self-control because diane was there so um after the filming she goes back to the hospital stays for another six days and then leaves to do sound work and audition for a play oh my god Um, and by this point it says she had been sober for 76 days so like what two and a half months ish there um when she goes back to New York to audition for a play, she starts singing out with Stacy again. Eventually, she goes back to the club. And when she's offered Coke in the bathroom, she takes it. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. She tells Stacy, and they decide to really go for it since she broke her sobriety. So they buy lots more drugs. Um, she steals her mom's credit card, and they decide that they're going to go to Hawaii. But first, they're going to fly home to L.A. Um <laughs> So <laughs> whenever the, the plane, like, has a, a stop, she will call her mom and lie about where she is, right? Like, she's like, oh, I'll be home, like, in another hour or two, <laughs> you know. Um, and whenever she gets to L.A., she calls her mom, and her mom says, I'm calling the cops. And Drew's like, whatever. And she decides to go shopping. They take her mom's car. So here's, like, what, 13 or 14-year-old Drew, high on coke, cruising around in L.A., um, while she's parallel parking, she hits a couple cars. So that sounds like something I would do sober. Mm, but yes. Yeah. So back at the apartment, they get ready to go to Hawaii and they do a ton of coke. I don't even know how she didn't get like coke brain rot or something. Um, and then some private agents do show up that were hired by her on to take her back to rehab. So she says when she checked back into rehab, she had a temperature of 102 degrees, was dehydrated, down five pounds from when she left New York. She said, my hair was all matted and I was shivering from cold sweats, agitated and yet too wary to sit up straight in my chair. So she thinks that this might be her bottom, right? Was the whole failed running away from her mom, stealing the credit card. You know, trying to go to Hawaii. Why does she have to steal her mom's credit card? Because she probably doesn't have a credit card. Well, again, but, like her mother gave her like an allowance, basically, but she didn't have tens of thousands of dollars of her own money. Like she was living like a normal teenager, basically. She didn't have access to no. all of her yeah, own okay. money. Yeah. I got you. 
Um, so she makes a list of things that she's going to be working on. And while she's there, she's separated from her mother. And instead of like everyone, because usually you have like a weekly or biweekly visit with your parents when you're in, in rehab, right? They have like the, the, the parent counseling sessions there at this facility she's at. So she, they tell her that her mom is carrying on with her own life and that makes Drew like really angry. So her mother comes after a couple of weeks. It's mainly because the staff wanted time to work with Drew on her own and they're going to ease into family therapy. And so in the meantime, she had this very intense like treatment and routine. So while she's at rehab, she does hook up with a guy named Rick um, and she gets in trouble for SOA, which means sexually acting out. <laughs> you can't do that when you're in rehab. Hmm. You can't hook up with fellow uh, patients who well, are in treatment. Doesn't seem fair, but okay. <laughs> um, and she gets in trouble for him several times. And she says that after one of the times that she gets in trouble for him and she comes back, she sees him wearing another girl's bracelet. That piece of shit. That's all I'm going to say. She's being obvious about it, wearing the bracelet. <laughs> yeah. Did you get the sense that this rehab did, like, an amazing job? Um, the way that she described it, I was like, wow. They they were just, like, so professional. They definitely seemed like they knew how to handle just these horrible, horrible cases of people who are, like, so far off the edge and... Um, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. <laughs> they um, they didn't. They were like such strict disciplinarians. They didn't let her off the hook for anything. But like she really seemed like she respected them and admired them. So um, mm -hmm. I don't know the way that she described it. I was like, wow, this seems like a really great place. Yeah. And um, did she talk about like the suicide attempt in the book? Am I missing? Did I leave that out? I feel like I missed a page in my notes somewhere. I'm I'm upset right now. Yeah. Um, well, it seemed like um, it wasn't necessarily a suicide. Are you talking about when, like, she was rushed she's to the in hospital? She's in an argument for... and she like slashes her wrists, but it's yeah. done in a way that seems more like attention getting. Yeah, or... I think she was sort of like holding it up to her wrist, probably like, yeah, to get attention. And mm -hmm. she just kind of accidentally cut herself like too deep or something. And that's why she went to the hospital. So I don't know if I would necessarily, I don't think she necessarily meant to do it, but she was yeah. like, just so like desperate and, and yeah, I don't think it was, um, I, th I think she was just trying to get like attention or something. She was, I think, was it in front of her mom or a couple of friends? I think it was her friends. Yeah, that's what I think happened. And I think that she said that the suicide attempt was kind of like over um, emphasized. Like it wasn't really a suicide attempt, like yeah, you were saying. It was another like yeah. National Enquirer um, article. Like they were like, Drew Barrymore tries to commit suicide but she didn't she mm -hmm. it they exaggerated it like she says it yeah. herself that that wasn't what the situation was yeah um so she undergoes like very intense therapy with her mom um but she's also getting very sad because she has made friends in therapy and they're starting to be released and she still isn't um but she is opening up more in therapy like she talks about the physical abuse from her father 
things like that that she's never really shared with other people before. Um, and I think that she's moved to do so after another patient there talks about their own um, abuses that they had as a child. And I think it's just something that she never really dealt with before. So um, she becomes more open about those experiences and it's like a big healing moment for her. Um, she gets to move into something called growth group, which means that she can go to occasional events um, with supervision on the weekends. So she can go shopping, she can go to baseball games, she can go to the mall, whatever. And so in one of her therapy sessions, um, she does reveal to her mother that she felt abandoned by her at a young age and that her mother is stingy with money <laughs> and that she is all business and no pleasure. Um, and so her mom's like, okay, well, I'll try to work on that. But one day her mom does slip up and brings in a script and this really upsets Drew. And she says, can't you just be my mom for one goddamn minute? Don't you listen to a thing I say? I don't want you to be my manager. I want a mother. Other kids' parents bring the McDonald's. Why do I have to get scripts? I just want to be a little girl. Mm. I just want to be ordinary Drew, not Drew Barrymore. That made me so sad. (laughs) That made me so sad, too. Like, she's so little. Like, when you read these words, you think that it's a 25-year-old person saying them. But she's, like, 12, 13 years old. It's so sad. You just want to give her a hug. (laughs) Yeah. It's really sad that she, I mean, she's really self-aware, you know, Mm -hmm. and just... It's really sad because she never was a child. She was never yeah. treated like a child. You know, the the brief times that she was was probably when she was on set. Like, that's why she loved it so much. You know, like, on the set of E.T., like, she became really close with Steven Spielberg and then, you know, close with Stephen King. And, and um, so I think she was looking for paternal figures, too, mm-hmm. obviously, because her father wasn't there for her. But it is so devastating to me that she just never had a chance to be a kid, really. Well, there were those times, I think, when she was filming Firestarter, when she was spending time with her stand-ins family, like another little Mm -hmm. girl her age. And like you had mentioned earlier, it was just this like very normal family dynamic. They weren't rich. They were just like a happy little family. And like you think if she had had just like friends her own age and did like normal kid things, None mm-hmm. of this instead probably of would have her mom happened. taking her clubbing. Yeah, like, like instead yeah. of going her to mom... all these clubs, if she had just like had little friends to have sleepovers with, like maybe none of this would have happened because she was really thriving. Like she describes how happy that she was just having this like normal kid life where they like eat little dinners together and like swim in the lake and <laughs> normal yeah. things. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. sad. Um, so. She has a sponsor while she's in rehab, and that sponsor is David Crosby's wife. <laughs> and she becomes close she's, with him. She's been through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. She um, – I, I don't know if they're still close or not, but I know she lived with him for a few months, him with and his David wife. David Crosby? Yeah. Oh, that guy. <laughs> he's he's up to no good these days. <laughs> yeah. So um, what's he up to? He's feuding with Phoebe Bridgers, as always, on Twitter, being a dickhead. Oh yeah, gosh. he said something about how he doesn't trust unions or something, and I think Phoebe called him a bitch. He's, he's like, I'm against unions. When is the last time you labored a day in <laughs> yeah. your life, Why David Crosby? Why does he Crosby? need to even be like, when did you work? With unions? 
You haven't worked in 60 years. <laughs> no, being a musician does not count as work, and that's coming from yeah. a musician. The whole feud with Phoebe started, though, like after her SNL appearance, whenever she smashed a guitar. Um, yeah. At, you know, after her performance he said, on SNL. He's, yeah, he said he didn't like it that she smashed a guitar and people were like, bro, remember, remember Jimi Hendrix destroying a guitar at Woodstock? And David Crosby was like, yeah, I didn't like it then either. And it's just like, if you're so old that you weren't ready for Jimi Hendrix, maybe you're just too old. Maybe you Weren't shouldn't. they peers? Weren't they like around they, the same age? Yeah, they were. But like, imagine how David lame. Crosby was just born old. He was just, just born old. Imagine how born lame you'd have to be. <laughs> to be like, I don't know. Born crotchety. Jimi Hendrix just takes it too far, I think. <laughs> um, so she becomes very close with him. And once again, it's another like paternal figure. And so um, a therapist suggests, you know, why don't you actually call your father? And so she does. She calls her dad. And she tells him that she loves him. And, of course, he just does what he normally does. And he asks for money. Um, and she gets mad. And she's like, I'm never going to give you money. So I'm sorry. Um, and before hanging up on him, she asks that he check in with her agent once a month. So she knows he's not dead. But she just wants no more um, to do with him. So, wow. yeah. But it seems like that was good closure. Because those, like, father issues had really haunted her. Like, she always thought of him as, like, I don't know, maybe sort of, like, romanticized him and thought about this day that he would come back and apologize and they would kind of be this family again. But I think, like, reconnecting with him, she realized that, nope, he's just a really bad person and that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And he, he was a very bad person. I don't yeah. think the Barrymore, at least the men... We're known for being good people. So I'm glad that Drew broke that curse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she does, though, finally get out of therapy. Um, and she's just, you know, writing. She's just trying to take it one more day at a time. And then I think she relapses and goes back. Um, but, you know, it's it's a it's a big deal for her when she finally gets to um, gets her little. What was it called? The. There was a special term they had for it in rehab. The chip? Or the... It wasn't a chip. It was like, um, I don't know. It was like a special like invitation type thing, but I can't think of what it was called. Whenever the therapists all decide that you're ready to go out on your own. Oh, oh. yeah. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but I know that there was a tradition of like writing, like you would write letters to your friends before you leave. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so, um, but she does eventually leave. And um, unfortunately does relapse, but I want you guys to know that it all ends well. Um, yeah. She does okay. <laughs> oh, that's what happened. Spoiler. To <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's to be expected. I mean, like she was still so young when she got out. Like she was only 14 when she wrote this book, like just entering like yeah. high school age. Those are like peak party years. So like to... I don't know. It must have been like really hard for her to have gone through so much at such a young age and then see the people around her that are her age that are just starting to like party. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yeah. But and imagine she, like, or I guess the upside of it is she's gone through all the bad stuff and 
has come out clean and still has an entire life ahead of her. Yeah, Yeah, that's really amazing. Like, I'm so glad that there were no, like, lasting health effects and that, I mean, aside from, like, a lot of emotional trauma that she had to work through, like, yeah, it just seems like she blossomed into her own person. She really did, like, emerge as this butterfly on the other side. And, like, mm-hmm. think about those movies that we listed at the beginning of this episode. Like, those are all things that she did as an adult. Like, as a like, awesome, healthy adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, I mean, I think that uh, Never Been Kissed was one of her first movies that she produced because she started Flower Films. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she has, like, her own brand of makeup, if anyone uses that. The flower yeah, she makeup. does. I almost mm-hmm. bought some today um, in... <sighs> Uh, in honor of this episode, I was watching some of her TikToks, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh man, I've been looking for this. I should buy it. It's very affordable, guys." Um. It is. You can get it at Ulta. <laughs> yeah, I didn't you can know get she was on Ulta. TikTok. Yeah, um, yeah. And like one of the nice things about her TikTok, like now she's got, I think, two children, um, and you know, she's a single mom, but she, like, she makes these TikToks of doing like silly things like laundry or like other chores but that's probably like the kind of life that she always really wanted to have was just like oh this is me like doing goofy dances while I'm doing laundry and I don't know she now has this like really great little family that um she can you know she can experience that I'm just really happy that she has that yeah and she um by the way, you can find her on Spotify. She has all kinds of playlists um, if you're interested. I was trying to find like fun 90s playlists to listen to while I was preparing this. And I just typed in Drew Barrymore and I was like, oh, well, she has all these playlists <laughs> herself um, on her account. But they're all like holiday 2021. And I'm like, this is not what I wanted. I wanted like a list of like early 90s alt rockets or something. That was what I was looking for, like some soul asylum and stuff. Um <laughs> But yeah, so she did, though, um, eventually emancipate herself from her parents. And it's not what people think it is where it was a bad situation. I think it was encouraged by the people at the, like, rehabilitation facility. Um, And her mom was at court that day. I think it was a chance for her to start over. Um, She said, I found an article, and she said, And when I turned 14 and wanted to start my life over, I wanted to do things on my own terms. And so that emancipation, I think, was part of it. And it was maybe a way to sever, like, the mom-manager tie and maybe their strange, like, codependency that they seem to have. And so 14, she was emancipated. And at age 15, she had her own apartment and was working as a barista, I think. What? Yeah. (laughs) That is so so crazy. Mm -hmm. Imagine being at Fort. 14 being like, time to start over. <laughs> 14. 14. Yeah. What were we doing? At 14, I was like, I don't know. I'm a little worm. I'm a maggot. Like, yeah. I'm nothing yet. At <laughs> like, 14, I think that was when I was just like hiding in my bedroom listening to alt rock all the time and not yeah, really doing I was, anything. I was hoping my life would begin at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I was just, I'm still waiting I, for my life yeah. to begin, I think, and I'm yeah. 40. I think like, that when was When will like I get to the... go to Studio 54? 
that was the year that we got cable. So um, it was a pretty, oh. it was an equally important year for me, I would say, because <laughs> I could uh, watch nice. MTV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, MTV ruined a whole generation of millennials <laughs> because by the time Zoomers were around, MTV ruined them in a different way with like reality TV. But for us, it was, um, it was you know watching Paula Abdul videos or whatever. <laughs> Having our minds warped uh-huh. by music. So do you know that she dated Jamie Walters too? Like I was, I'm sorry, I was doing a Drew Barrymore deep dive. I don't think I know I who Jamie Walters that. is. So there was like, I think there was this show on Fox called The Heights, maybe. And he played like a, um, he was a musician, but he was also playing a musician on this TV show. And oh, uh, yeah. I know this there, guy. Yeah, there was a song, I think, called How Do You Talk to an Angel? Yeah. And that was kind of like a weird, yeah. So she dated him, and she posed nude um, in Interview Magazine when she was like 17 with him. He was, of course, fully clothed because men always are in these photo shoots. Um, And then uh, she posed for Playboy in 1995. Um, and also for her 20th birthday, I don't know if this is true or not, I found it on Wikipedia, but allegedly Steven Spielberg sent Drew a quilt with a note that said, cover yourself up, with <laughs> altered images from the Playboy photo spread manipulated to make it look like Barry Moore had clothes on. What? Oh Come on. Oh my gosh. I don't know if that's real, but... <laughs> it's funny. It's also awful. Like, she's that's... 20 years old, she's an adult, yeah. she's been through fucking hell. She's not Gertie. I think posing for right. Playboy She has lived okay. a whole life, she's basically an old person now. <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. gosh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I also had a friend who in high school got very obsessed with two actresses. Um, she loved Drew Barrymore. So I've seen so many Drew Barrymore movies. Like, do you remember Mad Love? No. It was with Chris O'Donnell. Um, it was okay. It wasn't that great. But Seven Year Bitch made an appearance in it. So that's cool. <laughs> that's how I first heard Seven Year Bitch. And then um, – the other actress she was obsessed with was Juliette Lewis. So mm. I oh also gosh. watched a lot of Juliette Bad Lewis. Bad Girls of the 90s. <laughs> and then so. um, her company did that movie Whip It starring Juliette Lewis. So she got to work with like That's one true. of her beloved actresses. Did Drew Barrymore direct Whip It or am I getting, am I confusing that? Oh, she might yeah, have. Yeah, she directed it and she was like okay. a small role, like a. Um, yeah. She had like a small acting role, but it was mostly uh Elliot Page, Elliot Page. and yeah. um Juliet Lewis was sort of the rival. Um yeah. okay. but Juliet yeah. Juliet Lewis was so beautiful in that movie. I think about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I still think about her outfits in yellow jackets all the time. Oh my gosh. That's true. They're great. Yeah, she's just so cool. Yeah, I want to be that cool when I'm... How old is Juliette Lewis? That's... Anyone? Uh, 50? I don't know. She's not 50. She's probably my sister's age, right? Okay. Probably mid, 45. Mid-40s. Yeah, 40, sure. 45 to 47, I would say. She was, oh, I guess Whippet's her only... Uh, that was Wow, that was all the way back in 2009. Her only... Uh, di- only thing she directed, other than the Best Coast 
music video, Our Deal. Remember that song? Our Deal was a good video. Was that the one with like all the stars, like Donald Glover? I don't know. I've never seen it. Yeah, it is. I remember the song. It has Donald Glover and it has, um, uh, what's the little girl's name? Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh, she's in that? Mm Mm-hmm. I called her a little girl. She's well, an adult now. She was, in 2011, she was more of a little girl. <laughs> She'll always be the little bratty sister from 500 Days of Summer yeah. to me. So I just want to say, you know, good for Drew. Glad you're doing better. F the haters. Um, I have seen it. I'm sorry. I remember now because I remember this. <laughs> the look. The look yeah. she has, yeah. Chloe Moritz dressed as a street tough. Okay, I got it. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, um, it's like a West Side West Side Story, story kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just glad Drew made it because what an icon. Truly yeah. iconic. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, I really, um, I liked this book so much. Um, it was really powerful and just again. You think that these words are written by an adult person, and it's just so hard to believe that she experienced so much as such a young person. Um, and now is just this amazing, like actor and director and mother and just entrepreneur. Oh, she's just really inspirational, I think. <laughs> yep. And I can't yep, wait I till we have our triple feature of Ever After. Um, what were the other two that we wanted to see? Oh, never been the wedding kissed. singer and, f- and never been kissed. <laughs> yeah, and fifty first dates. And Blake no, is throwing fifty first dates in. That has Adam Sandler in it, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's yes. not as magical as the wedding singer. Yeah. yeah. No, the wedding singer is just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and the wedding singer also has a better soundtrack. Sorry, three eleven, who covered oh, yeah. the Cure? Infinitely better soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. So. Katie, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about uh, this book and this icon with us today. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, well, you can find me on <laughs> the internet on Instagram at The Haunted Outfit, or I also have a podcast called Super Chillers, where I um, read and discuss retro teen horror novels with my friend Jeffrey. Um, and other than that, I'm just buying a lot of Drew Barrymore cosmetics. <laughs> <laughs> just want to rep that brand. <laughs> Maybe um, if you start, you can start your TikTok and just post yourself using flower cosmetics and drew will find you and then you can become a spokesperson for flower cosmetics and you can become friends with drew i love this idea and then she can take me to some some parties (laughs) (laughs) definitely probably ready to get back to to partying right to clubbing why not get back in that scene yeah Time to go. So our next book, um, Joshua is not here to argue with me. Oh, uh, not, or he's not going to like this. It's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's. <laughs> oh, I, we would not do that. I wouldn't allow it as producer. Yeah. It's our first Caroline B. Cooney book, but it's not Ooh. a horror book. But it is published by Point. Um, it's called Summer Nights, and it's a romance. And oh Josh is going to hate me, but Ooh. that's what we're reading next. And if I remember correctly, Caroline B. Cooner. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? It's a 
Caroline B. Cooner. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Caroline B. Cooney is a good writer, if I remember. Just a weird name. Um, I don't know that I've ever read non-horror stuff by Caroline. So Yeah, I read one of her books. Um, there's a very interesting trilogy of cheerleading books um, that's non-horror. And she wrote one of them and Christopher Pike wrote one of them. So it's funny to like read these books about just like normal high school situations that aren't scary. <laughs> that is weird. But I love Didn't Carolyn she... B. Cooney. She, um, she's a very flowery writer. I think she has a great imagination. She wrote those vampire books, right? Am I thinking of the same, of the correct author? Like the return of the vampire. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it, I think it was a trilogy too. Yep. Um, it was. Yeah. So those were good. Maybe we'll get to those someday. Josh, this is Katie speaking to you from the past. You're going to love this book. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, that's good. We have Katie's approval. Um, Also, I know we normally rate our books, but it feels weird to rate a book about someone. Yeah, I was going to say, do you? it's different for a nonfiction. Yeah. Are you going to give it a rating? I'm not going to rate it. I'm already, I'm glad she made it through. Uh, Did you yeah. both enjoy reading it? Can I even ask that? Parts of it, but it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I feel yeah. like I know her better now, and I think that's really beautiful. Everybody has struggles, and she's just a really inspirational person. Yeah. Fair <laughs> <Definitely>. enough. <laughs> um, so. We have bonus episodes, and Katie's on at least one of them, mm-hmm. where we talk about movies uh, patreon.com slash are you there pod for the bonus episode and we just did one on poison ivy right that's a creepy movie so continue so. The, the, the barrymore chronicles continue <laughs> on the bonus feed with poison ivy yes so um i guess we'll go ahead and close it up so until next time would you like to say it see you later horse girls yay, yay. <laughs>